Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Honor your father and mother. And, and, and so I think it's either Mark or Luke's gospel says that Jesus commends him. Yeah, this is great. But what the guy lacked was the vertical part. He was okay in his relationship with other people, but he was not okay in his relationship with God. Why? Because what Jesus knew, and this is where he's probing, he's kind of touching on this, he's getting the guy to realize, okay, you've done great in far, as far as the horizontal, but vertically your problem is that you have made your wealth your God. In the life of a Christian, there is usually two aspects, vertical and lateral relationships. Our vertical relationship is with God, and our lateral relationship is with the Word and things we do in it. And in today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that your vertical relationship needs to fuel your lateral relationship, not the other way around. We need our relationship with God to empower us to go out into the world. We don't need our worldly works making us think that we've improved our vertical relationship. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 18, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. First four commandments of the ten have to do with your relationship with God. The other commandments have to do with your relationship to your fellow man. And so that's where Jesus is going to go. Now notice this, because there's a reason behind why he chooses to use the second tablet. And this is what he says in verse, uh, the rest of verse 18. He says, well, do not murder. That's commandment number six. This all has to do with your fellow man. Do not murder. That's commandment six. Do not commit adultery. Commandment seven. Do not steal. That's commandment eight. Do not give false testimony. That's commandment nine. And honor your father and mother. That's commandment five. And love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's not a commandment, but that's, that's the summary of the commandments. Because what he gives are the horizontal commandments, and he says, basically, to the, the paraphrase all of that, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, he intentionally, Jesus intentionally omits commandment number seven, uh, sorry, 10, which has to do with coveting. Because this guy's got a lot of money, and chances are, Jesus is looking into his heart, realizing he's got a coveting problem here. So he, 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 Jesus covers commandments 6, 7, 8, 9, and 5 in that order. And notice what the guy says in verse 20. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, check this out. 
Jesus intentionally gives the second tablet of the testimony because Jesus knows these he has done well. You've been pretty good about keeping true to your fellow man, and that's been God-honoring. You haven't committed adultery. You haven't stolen from anybody. uh, You have... Uh, not um, given false testimony about anybody. You've honored your father and mother. And, and, and so I think it's either Mark or Luke's gospel. It says that Jesus commends him. Yeah, this is great. But what the guy lacked was the vertical part. He was okay in his relationship with other people, but he was not okay in his relationship with God. Why? Because what Jesus knew, and this is where he's probing, he's kind of touching on this. He's getting the guy to realize, okay, you've done great in far, as far as the horizontal. But vertically, your problem is that you have made your wealth your God and not God. So you can't fairly say that you have no other gods before him because you have a big God and it's your stuff. And that's why Jesus says, well, why don't you just sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me? And he's trying to pry him to make him recognize who's your God here. Because if God is your God, then you'll have no problem just following me and giving everything you have to the poor. But if your stuff is your God, then you're not going to do this. And the Bible says that when he heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, at first glance, that looks very tragic, and it is. But in another sense, it's actually a very good thing that he goes away sad. Because at least his heart here is realizing, man, this isn't, this isn't right. And so he has emotion over this. He doesn't go away mad. He goes away sad. He doesn't go away stubborn or proud. He goes away sad. There's some brokenness here, but just not enough. Now, Jesus then turns to his disciples, and he uses this as a teaching point. And he says to them, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you have ever heard this whole idea taken from this passage that when Jesus says it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle, and I've heard this myself from, from pastors and teachers and people on TV and radio, that what this means is that, the, that really the eye of a needle is another word for a smaller gate, a smaller door on a city, and when the main gate is closed, the, the camel and you can't go through the main gate because for security reasons, you got to go through the little gate, otherwise called the eye of the needle. So you got to take all the baggage off of the camel and you got to get the camel down on its knees and you got to kind of push the camel through the eye of the needle and then you can get into the city. Now, how many of you heard of teaching something along those lines? That was your answer. All right, so have I. And that just is not true. <laughs> because look, the Greek word here for needle is the Greek word raphis, and it is the same word used in Mark's gospel, and it means sewing needle. It means sewing needle. Now, Luke will use a different word. He uses the word bellone, not baloney, but bellone, and bellone means surgical needle, and you'd expect them to say that because Luke, the Bible says, was a doctor. But he gets the idea still the same, sewing needle, surgical needle. Jesus is saying here that the eye of a needle, the part that you thread, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Now, wait a minute. What does that mean? In perspective, in context, what he's saying is this. Not that there's anything wrong with being wealthy or being rich. Look, Deuteronomy 8.18 says that it is the Lord who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. 
If God gives you the ability to produce wealth and to make a good living, and everything has generously come from His hand, why would He give you the ability to produce something that is sinful or wrong? There's nothing wrong with making money and being successful and achieving and accumulating um, God's generous provision and blessing in your life. The problem is when you make that stuff God, is when you violate the first tablet of the commandments because now your stuff owns you instead of you owning your stuff. The context of the, of the conversation here is it is harder for a rich man who has made his possessions God to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. It's impossible for any of us who have made anything or anybody God other than the true and living God to get to heaven. It's impossible. If you have anything else that is superior to the God of of heaven, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then that is idolatry, and there's no way that you can get to heaven if God is not truly God in your life. So it's not, if you take this out of context and you look, well, you know, what Jesus is saying is it's really, really hard. Just get a camel down on all fours and push through this little gate called a needle. I don't know where that is anywhere, but that's not in the Bible because Jesus is trying to say here, look, this is an impossibility if anything or anyone else is God. In this guy's case, it's money. So he uses that to illustrate this truth. But that's why When they say, in verse 25, when they heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, who then can be saved? You know, these guys, these guys are always perplexed because in the previous section, when we talked about divorce and Jesus goes through talking about this is what marriage is, this is what God's intent is, and don't just run off and get no-fault divorces, and the disciples say, well, then who can get married? And now they're like, well, who can get saved? You can just see they're like they're, neuro- they're neurotic all the time. They're like, well, if this is the case, you know, we can't even get married. Who's going to be saved? And Jesus comes back and he says, okay, now listen, listen. Verse 26, he looked at them and he said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. See, the problem with the rich guy is God was not his God. And so with man this is impossible, but with God, if God is your God, it's possible to go to heaven. It's possible to be forgiven. It's possible to, by grace, receive the forgiveness of sins and be able to go to heaven. But not if you have other things that are your God. And it's not just money. Anything can be our God if we make it our God. Uh, But God, supremely on the throne, wants to be Lord of our lives and nothing else. Now, don't you love Peter again? Because Peter, he's always shooting off his mouth, right? And, but here he goes again. This is, and, and so verse 27, Peter answered him, well, we have left everything to follow you. What then will, be, will there be for us? Now, you can either read that to mean, well, we've given everything. So, I mean, we've sacrificed everything, Lord, for you. Or you can interpret it, and I think this is really what he's saying. Well, we've left everything, so there must be a lot of stuff in store for us somewhere. We're going to get rewarded for leaving everything for you, Jesus. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you will, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now he, he gives context here. He says, when, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, he's talking about the millennial kingdom period. This is the period of a thousand year reign when Jesus comes back to earth and he rules and reigns for a thousand years. 
And Jesus is being specific here. This is not, this first part is not universal to all Christians. He's saying this to the disciples. He's saying, I'm telling you the truth. This is going to be your reward. When I come back, all 12 of you are going to sit on 12 thrones and you're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel, meaning in the millennial kingdom, those Jews who come into the kingdom, they will, the disciples, will have some kind of a judging role with the Lord, only in his authority and his name, to overview and to review and to judge those uh, who come into that millennial period. Now, there are 12 disciples and there are 12 thrones, but of course we know later that Judas, you know, he's gone. So who's the 12th guy? And nobody really knows, but probably the Apostle Paul, but nobody really knows. But he's, he, he's, he's got 12 thrones. Now, now tug that, tuck that away because that's going to come up here in just a little bit because the disciples are thinking now, 12 thrones. We're going to be on 12 thrones. Because in a minute, they're going to they're gonna want to know who's going to be on your right and your left. They're, they're going to jockey for position. Okay, you got Jesus in the center. You got six thrones on one side and six thrones on the other. But who's going to be at your right or left? So keep that in your mind because we're going to come to that. These guys are, these guys are charming, isn't it? It reminds us of ourselves, though. And, and then verse 29. Now, this is a little more universal. He says in verse 29, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. So what he's saying is, look, ultimately for all who have ever felt like that they have sacrificed a lot for Jesus, by the way, there's nothing you and I could ever sacrifice that would equal in any way near what Christ has sacrificed for us, right? Right? But he says, to whatever degree you've sacrificed, you felt like you've given up, you will be richly rewarded. And he says here, a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Now, does he mean this literally? I don't think so. Because who needs a hundred mothers? <laughs> who needs a hundred brothers? Who needs a hundred sisters? He's not saying if you have forsaken brothers, mothers, you're going to get a hundred times in the millennial kingdom. Great. And a hundred moms now in the millennial kingdom. No, what he's saying here is that, that you will be richly rewarded to a much greater degree than what you've ever felt like you've sacrificed for the Lord. That he takes note, and then he adds at the end of this, verse 30, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And we've talked about a couple of weeks ago some of the great paradoxes of the Gospels and what Jesus says sometimes goes against conventional ways of thinking. But he talks here about being last, that you might be first, because if you try to position yourself for first, uh, you'll be last. Chapter 20, now notice, this is, this is a chapter break in our Bibles, but it is not a break of the chain of thought. Uh, chapters and verses were added centuries later, like in the 13th century AD. Uh, so when you're sometimes reading the Bible, don't think new thought, new theme, just because we're going to a new chapter. This is directly related to this conversation. They're like, well, you know, we've sacrificed a lot. What are we going to get? And he's like, you know what? You haven't sacrificed anything uh, that you won't be richly rewarded for. And then he's going to give them a parable to illustrate some things. So verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. 
And he asked them, why have you been standing there all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So he repeats that paradoxical statement there, and he's using this parable to illustrate that truth. So he talks in terms here of a vineyard and a landowner. Now, the vineyard is the kingdom. The landowner is God, the Father. And he's painting this picture to help them understand that the workers are our lives. It's people. And this landowner goes, and he, uh, he, he goes to hire some workers, some day laborers in his vineyard. And it says that he goes out early in the morning. It literally translates at dawn. So this is probably 6 a.m. He goes out probably 6 a.m., and he hires some, uh, some workers to come work in his vineyard. And he promises that he'll pay them each a denarius. A denarius was a single day's wage. And it was adequate, substantial pay for that day uh, in, in which we're talking here. Well, he needs more workers in the vineyard. So he goes out again. It tells us in verse 3 about the third hour. That's 9 a.m. because they, they started counting in, in terms of sunrise. So uh, probably 6 a.m. is daybreak. 9 a.m. would be the third hour. He goes out again at 12 noon, uh, because that's the sixth hour in verse 5, and then again in the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., and finally the eleventh hour, verse 6, which is 5 p.m. So this landowner goes out, hires people, he, he, he notices that there's some people who need some employment, uh, and so 6 a.m. he hires a bunch goes back, hires more at 9 a.m., goes back, hires some more at 12 noon, hires some more at 3 p.m., hires more at 5 p.m. Now it's pay time at the end of the day. And, and, and so the, the landowner is going to pay the workers, the ones who started working last, first. And he, and he gives them each a denarius. Now, if you're hired at 5 p.m. and... Quitting day, quitting time is 6 p.m. and you've only worked an hour and you get a whole day's pay, you're jumping up and down for joy. But not so much for the 6 a.m. guys. 6 a.m. people who were hired, they're like, hey, 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 hey. Hey, you know, we worked the whole day too. And at first, they're thinking to themselves, the story tells us, well, if those guys who only worked an hour are going to get a full day's wage and we've worked a whole day, We're going to really rake in the dough tonight. But when they go to get their hand out, they only get a denarius, a full day's wage, which is what they were promised. So they haven't been ripped off because the landowner gave them exactly what the landowner promised them. You work a day, I'll give you a day's wage. 
And it's up to the discretion of the landowner to pay the other workers whatever he wants. He's the landowner. Now, if you're 6 a.m. hired, you think the landowner is unfair. If you're 5 p.m. hired, you think the landowner is generous. Same landowner paying the same amount, but it depends on your perspective. And here's what Jesus is trying to say. As far as it relates to the kingdom and and being born again and, and coming into salvation, some of you accepted Christ early in life. You're 6 a.m. people. Others of you get saved later in life. You're, five, you're, you're maybe 3 p.m. people. Or you know people who, who receive Christ on their deathbed. They're 5 p.m. people. And, and yet, the same reward is for all, no matter when you got saved. Now, there's a caution here to those who got saved early in life. Because you know what they complain when they come to the landowner? They say, well, hey, verse 12, we have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. And there's this caution here to those who have been saved early in life. Don't become callous and don't become resentful. Just keep persevering and serving the Lord. But don't start whining and say, you know, I've been a Christian for 35 years. And, and, and this person here, they get saved on their deathbed and they get to go to heaven. And I've been serving and changing diapers in the nursery and shaking hands. And I don't even like to shake, hand, shake hands because I'm a germaphobe. And every time I shake hands at the front door of the church, I got to wash down with Purex. And all of this kind of stuff, you know. Don't get callous and hard-hearted. Just be thankful that people get saved into the kingdom. It doesn't matter early in life or late in life. Just be thankful that we're all going to heaven who know Jesus. And the Lord is generous in this regard. Now, there's some great principles here because one of the things that Jesus is saying to us through this parable is is that God did not treat anyone unfairly. He just chose to treat some generously. He wasn't being unfair. He was actually being generous. The other thing to note here from this story is that God rewards people according to his will and pleasure, not necessarily according to what they deserve. And that's what grace is all about. God, God, in his infinite Wisdom and his good pleasure can richly bless anyone he wants. It is not that he's unfair to others. It's that he's generous to whomever he chooses to be generous. Summarize it this way. The law is about we get what we deserve. But grace is about God deals with us according to who he is, not according to who we are. And if truth be told... We always love the law for other people, just not ourselves. You know, God give this person what they deserve. You know, they've wronged me, they've ripped me off, they're mean, they're, 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 they, they shouldn't be going to heaven, and so, Lord, just give them what they deserve. But me? Oh, Lord, please. Don't give me what I deserve, just give me your grace. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, you're so good to me. Not them, but you're so good to me. Get this guy, but you're so good to me. And so Jesus is trying to remind us of these things that um, thankfully we're under grace and not law. Otherwise, we would get what we deserve. But he is generous and he blesses and he takes care of us. And that's the goodness of grace. So the last will be first. First will be last. Don't be resentful. Don't be bitter. Be thankful that God is generous. None of us deserves his generosity. None of us deserves his goodness. None of us deserves his forgiveness and his blessing. But God has done a wonderful work in the hearts of people. Some people get saved early in life. Some people get saved at the last minute. 
But those who know Jesus, we all get to go to heaven. It doesn't matter early in life or late in life. We're just all thankful that he's made the way through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know